That's some good stuff. Welcome to another episode of Pie Before Dinner. This is your math guru, math influencer, friendly social media math guy, Dr. Lou, here with episode three. Episode three, we're talking kites and shapes and all that stuff. We're talking geometry today, and this is a podcast summary of our weekly video live cast. And thank you for listening to that, and welcome back. Um, this is Pie Before Dinner. I'm Dr. Lou, your friendly neighborhood uh, mathematics influencer. Today we're going to talk about kites and tangrams, shapes, and all that stuff. Everything geometry. Um, join me today as we explore tips and resources and concepts to inspire doing math at home. And when I think about geometry and, and, and shapes and one of my earliest memories goes back to the Bermuda kite. If you haven't recognized from the accent, I'm from Bermuda, and we had a have a tradition every Good Friday, Good Friday season, spring Easter season, where we make these kites. Um, these kites are uh, made out of sticks of balsa wood that you purchase, and you connect them via a nail, maybe three or four or five sticks. You spread them out. And then you string them. You string the. Um, you put string around the uh, balsa wood. You cut grooves in the sticks. You put string around the balsa wood to form these shapes. And the typical shapes of the Bermuda kite were a hexagon and a typical eight-sided figure called a round roundy, which is an octagon. Um, but around around we call that a round kite or a roundy. Just a roundy, and the hexagon kite was called a hummer. A roundy and a hummer. And then at the top end of the hexagon figure, the roundy figure, you'd put a head stick and you'd put some more string and you'd put these things called these little hums, which are little pieces of paper. And when the breeze would hit, they'd make noise. Depending on the size of the, uh, the tissue paper. And so those are my earliest memories of, of, of working with shapes. Um, in, in fact, so I, I wasn't finished. You would also... When the diagram, when the frame of the kite was finished, you would paste it with um, tissue paper, all different colors of tissue paper. You and you'd put designs. You'd do, you'd line the inside with different designs. We had bullseye designs and what I call spinning wheel, what we call spinning wheel designs, and all sorts of designs. And you were only limited by your creativity, and that was our tradition. So if you go ahead and just Google the Bermuda kite. Um, and the Bermuda kite tradition, you'll see all sorts of designs of these tissue paper kites, uh, of Bermuda kites, and they're just so beautiful. I remember a couple of years ago just passing this on to my niece, and it was our tradition. Every time I was in Bermuda during our Good Friday season, and I made it a habit to be in Bermuda during the Good Friday season, or even when I was living there, we'd build a kite and go fly the kite. Um, and so those are some great, great, great memories. But there are great memories working with shapes. What was your earliest memory of geometry? What's your earliest memory of doing geometry? What did it look like? What did it um, feel like? What did it uh, sound like? Your earliest memory of doing geometry. What was your earliest memory of doing geometry? That's the question today. What did it sound like? 
What did it feel like? What did you do? And so just take a few minutes and, and, and think about that. Okay, so we're back. And so you've been thinking about what your greatest memory was in learning about shapes. So let me ask you, was it fun? <laughs> was it engaging? Did you think? Uh, did you, was it an art class? You know, what was it? And so just think about the things that make your experiences great about geometry and ask, are your kids, are your children, are your relatives, are your loved ones experiencing that same fervor around those experiences? And if they're not, then let's talk about what to do about it. So for example, uh, when we were talking with our community on Wednesday night, we talked about the geometry set. And I went online and, and they're still selling geometry sets. Geometry sets range from about $5.50 to about 11 bucks. But these geometry sets are sold, you know, worldwide online from Zorro and Staples and, and Walmart. And they have these things in them, these uh, instruments, do you remember? These instruments in them, such as the protractor, uh, protractor, a ruler, and then this right square and then the famous compass. I remember the compass because I, uh, many, many a young person would get in trouble for, for you know, fighting with the compass. That was a dangerous weapon back in the day. But I hear and I see from these geometry sets that I'm looking at online that they're a lot safer now in, in compasses, in, in using compasses, right? And we use compasses to draw circles. Protractors, what, what did we use those for? Well, we use those to, to measure angles, right? And so these geometry sets accompanying accompanied a set of activities usually pencil and paper that for me just weren't exciting as what i talked to you about with regards to kites and shapes and probably wasn't even the kind of activity you were thinking about when i said what was your favorite memory and so let's talk about why that is and let's delve into that a little bit more and if you, again, if you want to join our larger conversation Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6.30 Central, then just go right ahead. You'll, you'll uh, find us on Facebook, uh, Lou Matthews Live on Facebook. Um, but you can also go to my website, LouMatthews.live, and find out the information that you need. big ideas of geometry it's so important that okay so we want to have better experiences teaching and learning mathematics particularly in geometry it's such an important uh, subject in our schools it's a part of uh, just about every major standardized test uh, young people will take um, from elementary through high school and it's just so important so success in it is important it's so it's related to algebra and other statistics, other subject areas. And so we need to know about geometry. We need to have better experiences in it. And so let's talk about what the four big ideas around teaching geometry are. So big idea number one, it's about shapes. Shapes, there are shapes that exist all around us. There are shapes that we make, uh, shapes, shapes that are 2D and 3D and they're all around us. And the first thing you should know is that they all have properties. 
Properties are things we use to, characteristics we use to describe shapes. So we think of a circle and we say a circle has a property. Young people might say it's round or it's smooth. If you think of a marble, they might say, well, they may call that a circle, right? Um, they may look at a cup and say that's round. And, and young people have ways of describing stuff that it's very different from formal language. And we're going to talk about, about that um, later and in, in, in how to, 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 to teach through the idea of language, right? And formal language, the names of verses, just what I make up, you know. When you talk about really, really, when you talk to really, really young people, they say this is pointy. Right? They may not say an angle. This may say something is sharp, uh, pointy. Um, and so there are shapes all around us, and we have so many different ways to talk about them. Properties, big idea one. Big idea number two, transformations. Not only do you have shapes and they have properties, but shapes can be transformed. Shapes can be manipulated, moved around. And there are three basic types of transformations, rotations, Remember that, remember that game? You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Well, that's rotation, right? Rotating. Uh, pin, pin the tail on the donkey. You had to rotate someone 360 degrees. Those are rotations. But then you remember the Chicago slide. Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Slide to the left. Two hops this time. Three hops this time. So, so that's the Chicago slide. Those are translations. Shapes can be moved, sliding by shifting over um, distance, shifting over distance. Um, the third big idea about in geometry that's so important from K to 12, pre-K to 12, shapes can be described by their position and their size. So not only can we move them, but we can describe them by their position. We, we talk about where I live. I live on... Um, certain avenue in this particular city, right? Three blocks from here. And, or I can show where I, my country is on a map. Bermuda is 64 degrees uh, west, 32 degrees north. Um, you know, we can, planes, you can describe planes uh, on a map, on a radar. And so we can describe where things are, which is such an important part of being for us as human beings. So we can describe Shapes by their position, but also by their size. We say that I not only have a tennis ball, but I can, it's I, I can make it large or make something larger, or think of a tennis ball being smaller than a basketball, right? And so position and size. And then the the fourth, the fourth big idea is visualization. Not only do shapes have properties, not only do we transform those shapes by moving them. Not only do we talk about them in regards to the location, but we also talk about the different vantage points through which we see shapes. So shapes have a variety of vantage points. And if you don't believe me, just look at a house. And you, the house has a front entrance, and you can look at it from the front. And then if you go to the side of a house, you can probably look at it from the side, and it looks different from the side, right? And you can... Uh, look at it from the back it looks different and look at it from the top even if you had like a drone or we're hovering above you can look at it from the top and maybe if it's something you can pick up from the bottom and each each vantage point gives us a different view of the shape I mean it may be identical but it can tell us different things about the shape I mean some shapes some 3d shapes for example are very hard to understand together 
with just the front vantage point, for example. You have to know perhaps what it looks like from the side and from the top. And so particularly with 3D shapes, you know, we tend to look at the different dimensions. And so shapes have these different vantage points, um, a variety of vantage points that we like to visualize. And we also like to visualize um, the relationships between 3D and 2D shapes. Okay, so I hope that's helpful. Those are the four big ideas of geometry that you want to make sure that your young people from K to 12, pre-K to 12, uh, birth to 12 are really are focused in and around, and in fact, extends beyond 12, even into adulthood. Three big ideas, properties, transformations, location, and visualization. Now, it means something for curriculum, but if you're doing Eureka, Cambridge, IB, uh, North Atlantic curricula, uh, curricula around the world is governed by, are governed by these four big ideas around geometry. All right, so you've had some time to, um, uh, I guess, absorb some of that information or digest some of that information around the four big ideas of geometry. Let's just just let's just do a quick check in and, and talk about two big questions. And um, your job is to think about whether this is a myth or a fact. Myth or fact. This is our our version of myth busters. Myth or fact. All right, so myth or fact, number one, our ability to be successful with geometry is directly tied to our maturity level. That is our age. Myth or fact, think about that, myth or fact. Ah, that's right, that is a myth. Our ability to be successful in geometry is not tied to our maturity and or age level. It is not. That is a myth. Well, I'll ask, an- I'll ask another question and then we'll uh, come back to, to why that's a myth, okay? Myth or fact, question number two. The best way to develop one's geometric thinking is to provide more experiences for children. Correct. That is a fact. That is a fact. So question number one, the best, uh, our ability to be successful with children is uh, in geometry is tied to their maturity age, developmental level age, or sorry, maturity level age. That is a myth. Um, We know that although that geometric thinking occurs in levels, right? There are levels to geometric thinking. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. There are levels to geometric thinking. These levels are developmental. They're sequential, they're developmental, but they're not dependent on age. We, we find if you, when, you, when you test college students and you test young people, you can often find them on the same level when it comes to their geometric thinking. Um, it's not age dependent, it's experience dependent. So that is a myth. And so that leads to why the second question is a fact. It is not age dependent, but experience. The more experiences we can give our young people in with regards to transformations. Remember those four things I said about the four big ideas? Transformations, location, uh, location and position, um, visualization and properties. Um, the better, the, the, the stronger their, their 
the more robust their geometric thinking becomes. In terms of teaching geometry, it's all about understanding that there are levels of geometric thinking. We can describe one's development in, in thinking geometrically through looking at uh, different levels. So, so I tell my parents, you know, it's all about the levels. What is it all about? Levels. There are levels to this. And so let's talk just briefly about these levels. So remember, we talked about shapes um, having properties, having location, um, be, uh, being able to be transformed, and, and having these variety of vantage points through which we visualize and make sense of them. Well, when we talk about shapes, that, thinking about shapes and, and seeing shapes is the, 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 the first level of geometric thinking, right? that we recognize shapes, we look at shapes, we identify shapes. Kids can do them from very young, uh, from very old. We all do that, we do that every, every day. We recognize shapes. We think about the shapes that we see. And as we think about the shapes that we see, we progress to, you know, making, trying to make sense of the shapes that we see. We, we name them. We give them names, right? We say triangle. We say rectangle. We say square. We say four sides or three sides. We say round. And we, we use these properties to talk about shapes so that we can put them into classes. And so the second level are classes of shapes. So shapes, identifying shapes, first, second level, classes of shapes, right? The, uh, the product, the outcome is classes of shapes. We want to understand that there are different classes of shapes. There are four-sided, there are shapes that have four sides. There are shapes that have three sides. There are shapes that are three-dimensional, shapes that are two-dimensional. And the way we get a, the way we focus on this in teaching young people is we do a lot of sorting. So we have, we have young people sort, you know, sort what's a three-sided figure, what's a two-sided, what's a four-sided figure? Um, what are they called? What, are, what do all the three-sided figures look like? You know, how are they described? And so we talk about these classes of shapes. Then there's a third level, shapes, classes of shapes, and there's a third level we call relationships. We think about the relationships between these classes. So that, that's a little bit more challenging, isn't it? When I think about, is a square a rectangle? Hmm, yes. Is a rectangle a square? Sometimes, not all the time, right? Um, and so we think about, is a rectangle a tra trapezoid or trapezium? Or is a trapezium a trapezoid? And so there are different ways we think now, now that we understand classes of shapes, we think about how they relate it, being able to these relationships. Now, you notice it's getting progressively a bit more challenging, right? Um, how many experiences have you had with those kinds of questions? Um, is a rhombus a square? Is a square a rhombus? Um, and then there are this, this notion of formal proofs where we formally have these proofs in geometry. Most of us don't get to that space, right? Um, and you study mathematics and, and you become a mathematician. Yeah, you, you do, but, but formally, most of us don't do formal proofs. In high school, we get to a certain point, but we don't typically do it. In college, there are, there are classes where you take and you do more formal proof, proof and the last stage analysis. So there are basically four or five different levels depending on how you're reading. And most of us journey through those different levels, shapes, classes of shapes, relationships, formal proofs and analysis based on the experiences we have with these activities, not necessarily because of our ability or maturity level. That's a powerful message because it tells me that, are you saying, Dr. Lou, that mathematics has nothing to do with one's ability? 
yes, I am saying that there is no math gene and your child is not hindered by the math gene not coming from you. It hasn't been identified. These are about experiences. Remember, these levels are not experience, not age dependent. They are sequential. They are developmental. We go from class shapes to classes of shapes to thinking about relationships and, and, and thinking more formally about relationships or formal proof and then maybe get into more complex analysis of systems. Um, so it's sequential. It's developmental because as we go through shapes, we have to progress to another space. But it's not dependent on age. This is dependent on experience. So something to think about uh, around that. And so that goes hand in hand with the myth and the, the fact quiz that I often give and I'll give a couple of those in a minute so what are the implications for teaching geometry if 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 we know that these are these four levels right and so here's where we left off Wednesday and I want to leave here with that before we want as we wind down one start early with natural experiences and 3d objects so remember children when they're born, their earliest experiences are with what? 2D or 3D? Yeah. Think of all your toys, 3D, right? Your your boxes, your your balls, your your building blocks, your your toys, your your stick figures, your your brushes, your combs, anything you have experience with, most children have these natural experiences with 3D. Now the anomaly is that school often teaches and books often teach you 2D before 3D. Um that that that's that can be problematic sometimes. Well, it just, it can undervalue what young people bring to the table. But it's also a tremendous opportunity at home for you to flood the space with 3D. So while you're at home now, you're in lockdown, uh, on a stay-at-home orders, you can definitely, definitely, definitely um, do all sorts of activities with 3D shapes. Sorting activities are nice. And I'll give you an example of some sorting activities in a minute. Um so that's one thing. You can start early of natural ex experiences with 3D objects. The second thing you can do is allow children to speak about properties of geometric shapes in their own language, in their own way, in their own space. And, and over time, build up the sophistication. So what does this mean? Don't just jump to, here's the definition for a square, memorize a square, look for a square. But, but allow young people to look for shapes in nature, a Christmas tree, all sorts of shapes. And then allow them to talk about what the shape describe properties of the shape you know maybe it's according to size maybe it's according to touch and feel and 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 visuals but allow them to keep talking and keep thinking about that and keep probing and keep asking questions tell me more why do you think that um how are these shapes alike how are they different right remember that thing about relationships um, and so you can do this, right? And then it, formally, we can build their language up. Okay, so I know you said this, but did you know that the formal term for these four-sided figures are quadrilaterals? And so you can build up the, you can use, language should not be a barrier. Definitions of vocabulary teachers should not be a barrier for the teaching of geometry. So you can also add lots of questions as a teaching tool, lots of, lots of questions probing. How do you know, tell me more, is a square a rectangle? Is a rectangle a square? Asking questions to understand students' geometric thinking. And the big focus on these kinds of activities, sorting activities, um, transformation activities, um, and uh, decomposing activities, taking apart shapes and, and putting them, them back together. 
I have some examples. So one one website that I've, I've been sharing with people is called www.abcya.com. That's A-B-C-Y-A.com. And they have some 10, 10 grams. If you look forward slash games and 10, 10 grams, 10 grams are a great mathematical, a great tool actually for uh, looking at how um, shapes take up space, right? And so you have this picture and you try to fill this picture with these shapes. Um, you can have children from pre-K all the way up to sixth grade plus to, to do this. And then you can even make these shapes. I've actually tried a couple in the last couple of days and some of them can be quite challenging. So that's 10 grams. That's the idea of making sense of shapes and identifying and, and filling out the space and shapes. Another website I find very helpful is um, uh, called thebusytoddler.com. Some of my parents have already had experience with it. I just bumped into it. But it talks about all these uh, simple sorting activities for toddlers. Sorting is an activity that you can begin right out of the womb. I mean, it's it's a great, not the womb, but it's a great um, uh, way of building geometrical thinking. Um, and so that's another uh, website. So there you have it, 10 grams. Um, at the abc.com uh, and sorting activities at busytoddler.com. The best way to find these, I just Google. And um, there are lots of these activities. There's 10 grams online, um, 10, 10 grams maker, um, sorting. There's also some terms called geo, geogebra, G-E-O, G-E-B-R-A. And that's this uh Dynamic geometry, tech, using technology, making shapes using technology. So take a look at that as well. I'll have much of these resources on my website, inspiremath.org uh, forward slash inspireparents, or you can go to, directly to my site, uh, lumatthews.live. Um, look for um, pie before dinner, and I'll give you um, much more resources and insights around what to do, how to build programs, and where to find stuff. And I'll put this stuff up there as well so you can find. Just give me a couple of days and I'll have that up. Thanks for joining another episode of Pie Before Dinner. In this episode, we focused on geometry, kites, shapes, and all that stuff. It was a pleasure to share with you. Look forward to seeing you next time. If you're online, join us Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern as we talk to parents and teachers and community members during this time around mathematics and all things about teaching and learning math to inspire and engage our children. See you next time. Bye-bye.